This is Wayne Jurnell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. All right, Michael, I want to use our time machine today, and I want to take you back oh, sure. 100 years at least. Let's place you in, how about, let's say, rural Iowa. Okay. And we're also going to reduce your age a little bit, okay? We're going to go back to, like, how about seven-year-old Michael? Oh, God. And you're in school, and the, the teachers have to prepare you, Michael, to be, like, an outstanding citizen. What do you need to learn to be an outstanding citizen, like, 100 years ago in rural Iowa? This is testing your geographic and historical knowledge. Yeah, okay. So it's 20, what, 2019? So yeah. we're going back to 1919. At I least. Guess. Maybe a little earlier, even. Okay, so pre-World War One. Yeah. I'm seven years old. My only knowledge or understanding of Iowa comes from Field of Dreams. So this is probably <laughs> not good. Although this is before the, the Black Sox. Okay. Jeez. Nate, you know, I just realized I'm putting you in a similar situation to Field of Dreams, aren't I? Because they, yes. <laughs> they came back out of the 19-teens. <laughs> That's exactly, yeah. So I guess I want to know, okay... Cars are around, I guess. There's a war brewing, but I'm not. Maybe Franz Ferdinand was assassinated. The car thing's already interesting to me too, right? Like, so this is this is kind of the fun. I think when you actually get to really think and investigate history, is I'm like, how how much did mo- the Model T cars make their way to rural Iowa at this point? I don't know. Like, you know, this isn't Do that we long. Need traffic signs. That's the thing that I want to figure out. Maybe that is my issue as a seven year old. Do we need a stoplight? Although, do we have stoplights? Um, I would not think there'd be stoplights at this time. I think maybe you'd be lucky to have a stop sign, but I kind of even doubt that. I can't tell you where the yield sign was invented, only because it was invented in my hometown of Tulsa. That's it. That's all I got. Random fact of the day. I guess for the most part, I'm seven. I just kind of want to know what's going on in my neighborhood. Who are the people in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood, in my neighborhood? Maybe who the mayor is. <laughs> Can I get a stop sign by my, I'm imagining I don't have a bus stop. I walk to school, but I would like a stop sign at some place where there are wagons going back and forth. I'm assuming. I have no idea because, again, never been to Iowa and also never been to 1915, which I'm assuming we're starting. And I'm, I would guess this is a fairly homogenous community you live in, but I could be very incorrect about that. I don't know the demographics of Iowa at this time either, but I'm thinking this is we're going to be so off. It's going to be really embarrassing and hurt our credibility. But I'm thinking like you need to, to learn how to treat your fellow students. I would think you contribute a lot to your community, right? I would think your community relies on seven-year-old Michael more than like 100 years later, seven-year-old Michael was relying oh, on. Oh, yeah. I'm bringing people's groceries to their houses, I think. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Maybe your parents own the, the, the Milton Grocer. No, this is just something that I do because what else are you going to do with seven-year-olds in rural Iowa? And again, I'm really sorry to anyone who's been living in rural Iowa. I have no <laughs> idea. 
I'm just randomly putting myself in this very silly situation. Maybe there's a malt shop. I imagine there are cows. What's the price of milk? These are just things that are to citizenship. Although I would like to uh, grab a malt. The closest thing to consumerism, you probably got like the, is it still like the Sears and Robux, Robux catalogs that you get, right? And that's like how you get like your consumer goods at the time, which are kind of consumer cultures really emerging at this time. So, so we've done a lot of damage to the historical record in the last like three minutes. I feel like, um, maybe even set back social studies. I don't want to say a hundred years, but at least a couple. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it is. I mean, this is, I, I actually think that, um, thinking what a time was like, that's historical thinking, right? It's historical perspective taking. And that's some of the work we try to do in our classes. And actually can, when you think of it that way of like, what was life like? You have to realize how different things were and how, you know, technological changes, political, social changes just dramatically make our lives different. And so to think what types of, you know, citizenship education little Michael would need, it's hard. Maybe I could be a town crier finally. Or you just <laughs> read about the newspaper, or cry about the newspaper. I don't actually know what they do, but I'm assuming it has something to do with reading newspapers. You'd have to bring back the soapbox from the Sarah McGrew episode and you could stand on that, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Why don't we actually invite our guests in who can talk a little bit more about uh, about this. Well, uh, let's invite uh, Carolyn Weber and Sarah Montgomery to the pod. Sarah and Carolyn, what's going on? Hello. Thank you so much for inviting us. Yeah, thank you. We are thrilled to have you on. Thrilled can, to be here. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, your background in education, and what's going on in rural Iowa in the 19-teens? Hi, I'm Carolyn Weber, and I am an assistant professor at the University of Northern Iowa. Um, I received my PhD from IU, and I mostly focus on middle school and middle level things, but also some history of social studies and elementary social studies. And a couple of years ago, right after I moved to Iowa, Sarah mentioned all these great archives that were here of schools from the early 1900s that she wanted to look at, and I was I just kind of jumped on board, so I'll kind of let her talk a little bit more about that, too. Sure. Uh, this is Sarah, and I'm an associate professor here at the University of Northern Iowa. It's my 10th year here, and I also went to Indiana University. Carolyn and I crossed paths there, crossed over a couple years together, that overlap. And my research, I've done some historical pieces, but I've mostly done, like, elementary social studies, democratic practice, digital media production and critical media literacy. So a lot of different hats. But uh, Carolyn's right. When I first got here, there was a colleague that was very interested in Iowa and Iowa history. And he said, you know, the whole basement of our building is full of these records from all of the schools across Iowa for decades and decades and decades. And so the way that it was set up in Iowa is that each small rural school district had to report to like a county hub or a regional hub called an area education agency. And those agencies still exist as professional development spaces for the, that part of the state, all over the state. But at some point, I don't know when they gathered the records from these one room schoolhouses or had been keeping the records and they were at all these area ed education agencies across the state. And at some point, our university got those. And I 
the legend is it was just boxes and boxes of stuff. <laughs> but over the last few years, a museum on campus has cataloged everything. And so I just thought it sounded like a nerdy good time to dig in and see what we could find, given that there was so much. I, I like the way that sounds, a nerdy good time. <laughs> yeah. Did you find seven-year-old Michael in the archives? <laughs> We, we did. We found student work. We found report cards. Um, we found teachers' notes and tests they gave. And it was really incredible. That is super cool. How did cool. I do on the tests? Really well. <laughs> really, really well. No. <laughs> nice. I'm a town crier, so. You better I know feel, your stuff. I mean, I feel like it's so interesting. It's such a, you know, those documents provide such a crazy look into the past and the details and the personalities and the events are like gone, but there's these traces of them. Right. And I, I recently was at a um, antique shop and found like an old teaching certificate. And I like to take it to my class. And it was a teaching certificate from like 19, like 15 ish Kansas. And I like to ask my students, what do you think this student went through? Like, what do you think they had to do to be prepared to be a teacher? And what do you think they need with skills they needed at that time? And the whole point is for them to first start thinking historically and then second to start thinking about their own journeys. Like, what are you doing? Like, what is this process? Because in the process of becoming going through a teacher camp, I think sometimes you lose, it's easy to focus on the, the kind of the stuff right in front of you and forget like the bigger, larger mission of what we're trying to help prepare you for. And so it's so fascinating to just find all these records and traces of the past. I, we should say a couple things real quick first. Carolyn, welcome back. We This is not your first visit. You are a friend of the pod officially now for your second visit. You were on episode 90, Inquiring into Girls Access to Education with Heather Hagen. Right. Yep. That was more about middle level education. So different different hat today. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason you're both on today, and we've already kind of alluded to it, is that you have a great new article out that is published in Theory and Research and Social Education. Uh, so first, congratulations on your publication. Thank you. Thank you. So the article is titled The Emergence of Elementary Citizenship Education, Insights from Iowa's Rural Schools, 1910 to 1935. So this pretty much would allow seven-year-old Michael to completely grow up. That's 25 years. By the end, you're 32-year-old Michael. We're getting pretty close. Yeah, there we are. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit i mean you started to tell us about that you just have this vast resources just in your basement which is incredible i wish i could i want to stumble into a basement it's it's very never-ending story right like i feel like he goes in the in the, the little roof and reads the never-ending story um i feel like i want a magical adventure like this was this a magical adventure to go along on this on this kind of research journey it really was like like Sarah said when the museums in, in the library started cataloging and archiving this stuff, and the archivist brought us back into this huge room of just files on files, and it was amazing. And we found, you mean the teacher certificates that you were talking about? We found several of those. Like you and I started as the teachers college for the state, and so there are a lot of records from that as well. And then teachers coming back for institutes, like. And student work, like I said, it was amazing. And we really want to get back in there and do more because there's just so much more to get into there. One of the things that I worry about is that someone will find, so all my docs documents now are in Google and it's a bloody mess. And I just worry that someone in the future is going to have to catalog everything. And I imagine they're going to find a lot of untitled documents with who knows what. So to the future people, I'm sorry. What did you learn from some of these documents? What were some of your favorites? 
I think what was really powerful for me is that we could start to see a story weaving together. Like it started for us with my interest in elementary social studies and Carolyn's as well, because we teach those courses here, the methods course, and finding initially this book that was about how to teach American citizenship in the elementary grades that was written entirely by a team of women social scientists and never having heard of this document. And then finding the curriculum guides for the state for the elementary grades, which were grades one through eight at that time, and then starting to see how they were actually using these women's work in the curriculum guides and then trying to figure out, well, okay, fine. They put it in the state guide, which is a big step, but did it actually happen in the schools? And then we were able to track that into these teachers' daily attendance registers where they kept track of what they taught, the students that were there, how old the students were, like the different seasonal timeframes of their lesson planning, and then to even get to report cards and teacher's notes, letters from the state pushing propaganda from World War One. that was really juicy. But I think just how the story started to come together was really powerful. And to hear those voices from the past, whether it was students or teachers or state leaders, and, and to hear and to see the conflict. And one particular document that still stands out to me that we talk about in the article is in this teacher's collection, her name was Aletha Hutchinson Jacobs, and she taught for like 50, 58 years in rural schools in Iowa. And then I think she moved to Wisconsin, but I could be wrong. And she had this letter that she had kept and it said, state of Iowa, secretary of defense. And they said, basically, you need to push all of this World War One nationalist propaganda on these kids. You need to make them sell Liberty Bonds. You need to start all these clubs. You need to take this letter home. We gave you enough copies to the superintendents so that you can take these laws home so that the parents and the families know all the treason laws. And this is around the same time as the Babel Proclamation in Iowa, where they couldn't speak anything but English, even in worship services, like everything got shut down if it wasn't English only. And on that document, the teacher had marked out the governor's name, like as hard as you can imagine with a pencil, like to me, it just felt like she was really pissed off. And so then that started to unravel, like, well, what did, was the resistance? What did the teachers do? I mean, this is before they had the right to vote in some, some of these documents. And here they are probably some of the most educated people in the community and probably thinking critically about what's coming down from the state. And then what do they do in response with these, with seven-year-old Michael, you know? So that's my juicy background. Carolyn, other things you thought of? Uh, well, you brought up Alita, who was I was who I was going to bring up. Like her records were, I think I can't. I think she also moved to Pennsylvania. I think she taught in three different states over fifty some odd years, and she had just so much information about her teaching. It had like copies of tests. You know, one of the things we noticed with that was her teaching in Iowa was mostly be- before the um, letter that Sarah was talking about. She moved only a couple years later. I think she moved in twenty two. And so a lot of hers was civics of Iowa and just very, you know, history driven, just a little bit of civics. And then there was a huge difference just after she left and the other um, things we found as to what citizenship was and what civics was. So what was citizenship education? So we know both World War One and World War Two served as these times to move often to this kind of more conservative, patriotic visions of social studies. So so what did it look like? What did the what did seven year old Michael pre World War One uh, learn? Pre World War One, seven year old Michael was not learning much of anything about citizenship. Pre World War One, it was civics of Iowa was not really taught until about eighth grade, and it was part of history. After World War One, you know they were getting these 
national propaganda letters like Sarah was talking about and the national guides were saying to push all this national things. And while the state guide talked about that to some extent, a lot of it was more local about the things you actually talked about in the intro. So you weren't completely far off about learning like, you know, there's an abandoned lot in our neighborhood. What do we do with it? Or there's, you know, different sanitation ideas. And so it was very, very localized. I think that, um, you know, in primary and intermediate grades, it was very home and school based. And then by the upper grades, it got into more of like the surrounding communities. And still, civics of Iowa was still taught as part of eighth grade history. And so it was like this community idea in the beginning. And then we get into government and things like that towards the end. Yeah, I think what really stood out to me as I said we were weaving that story together is that prior to World War One, it was Civics of Iowa. I mean, that was it. We found the books and the title for Civics of Iowa was like size 40 font and then real little it said and the U.S. And the document was set up like that. And we found that there are books like that for South Dakota and Minnesota and other like they made them like that and they were state focused and everything in there was like what do we need to do for our state what do we need to do to focus on Iowa and what how does government work in Iowa and oh yeah here's what happens at the federal level but then after World War One, that was wiped out civics was still a focus in eighth grade but the Iowa the state focus was gone and then now after World War One, you have this citizenship push the state at the end of the war said there's got to be citizenship education in grades one through eight and you need to roll on a curriculum and what they rolled out ended up being really perhaps you could use the word feminist but like peace and justice kindness compassion there's whole chapters on like kindness to animals how to treat one another very different themes than I think the state initially probably made the legislation about that's fascinating yeah because what what vision of citizenship is always interesting, right? Like there, during each war, as you probably see pushes towards kind of patriotism, maybe even a blind patriotism, right? But, uh, you know, we've had previous episodes, um, different visions of citizenship. I remember we had uh, Chris Boosie and Irina Walker, and they talked about black critical patriotism in elementary schools and what it looks like. And so it's interesting to think, I don't, demographically, was, was there much diversity? I would guess this is the 19... 19- tens and before that time i would guess that's before the great migration yeah there was not much diversity in iowa at the time there wasn't so it was primarily white i'm guessing a lot of indigenous groups had already been displaced or were were in separate schools or in separate places at the time and so you but it's interesting to think at this time i mean a lot in the early 1900s women had a lot more power in education often they were often principals in schools i don't know if that was the case in iowa but, um, you know, and it's, so it's interesting to think about how they had taken this and put together this curriculum that almost like reminds me of something like Nell Noddings would write, you know, like a, a, a feminist, you know, curriculum of care, almost it sounds like. Yeah, it, it was, like you said, very feminist and like gratitude, um, kindness, getting along with others. And it was like getting along with others in school, at home, like there were things about getting along with your siblings it was very localized and I would, yeah, it probably could be very easily compared to Nell Nodding's. And it's interesting, as Sarah mentioned at the beginning, you know, we've both studied the history of social studies for many years now and had never heard of these people. And they had sent out a draft of their book to over a hundred superintendents and had, I think, feedback from 22 states of people giving them feedback of their book. It was well read at the time. And yet, 
you know, we'd never heard of it till two years ago when we found it. So that was really interesting to find too. Yeah. And their entire curriculum, it's Cabot was the first author. They, it, Iowa basically was just like, we're using this for grades one through six. And then for grades seven and eight, they used Dunn's community civics. So, I mean, here are these women social scientists that we'd never heard of that the state chose to focus on for their approach. And then we were able to see that actually in the teacher's documentation that this is, I mean, one teacher wrote, like, I use this course of study completely, which would have been these women's work. This is really fascinating because I feel like looking at the past, especially even the, you know, kind of the distant past when social studies was kind of first emerging in a lot of different places. And I would guess probably often had, you know, very different, you know, iterations look different in different places. And it sounds like this can provide a lot of insights for the present to rethink like, oh, wait, why don't we do that kind of social studies? What, so what, what, is, what are your takeaways or advice for teachers teaching in the classroom or even for teacher educators preparing social studies teachers to how we, we can learn a little bit from what you all learned in the study for our teachers? I think there continues to be a major gap in regards to early childhood social studies education and those grades K through three. And I know even in our own methods classes or as I work with students on teaching and research, there just seems to be these questions of like, am I teaching social studies? Is this enough? Like, how do I get this to fit in? That lesson that was just modeled is clearly for a fifth grade class. That's not going to work in my first or second grade class. But we know that there are teachers that are doing incredible things. We see this in social studies, the young learner all the time in regards to using classroom meetings and decision making and using children's literature and songs and doing service learning type work in regards to peace and justice in their community or the world. And what we're seeing with that actually really aligns and maybe could even be traced back to the work of Cabot and her colleagues in the document that they produced and what was used in the state of Iowa, because it was very organic, child-centered, early childhood social studies education, I would say. And she even gave like examples of children's lit and songs and role play and all of that. And so I think there needs to be this sense of like knowing that that can be justified as high quality social studies education and to give it that the strength and the power that it deserves because those kids deserve those opportunities. I also think it really ties into the current push for social emotional learning. I've been doing more research lately on that and mindfulness and how that can fit into early childhood and elementary social studies. And I think there's clear ties because a lot of what we saw in the documents related to understanding kind of who you want to be in the community and how to go about doing that. It reminded me a little bit of our conversation with Annalisa Halverson, who, you know, wrote a book on the history of elementary social studies. Um, and we had her on in episode 64. And I referenced there one of my favorite books, which is Vivian Paley's You Can't Say You Can't Play, which is the reason I just like it is it just essentially um, Vivian Paley does in that book what I think a lot of great teachers do. is She takes her first graders, if I remember right, very seriously, right? So she decides that she wants to address issues of of inclusion and exclusion in her classroom. And that becomes social studies and democracy work in her classroom um, because she does it over time. It's not just like, here's a rule we're going to follow. It's a process or end and then a way of learning to live together. And so um, I think that's a little bit, you know, that kind of organic curriculum is something that we can sometimes be pushed away from with state standards 
which have us focus on this external thing that we have to do, as opposed to thinking in terms of, I guess what John Dewey would say, the child and the curriculum, thinking in terms of those two things. Yeah, and a lot of this book was very similar to that as well, in that it was written in question form, especially for the uh, intermediate grades, I think was more so. So it was like these questions to ask your students and to really have them talk about these things and have these community meetings. And a lot of times in the daily attendance registries, it also had like their schedule. And a lot of times citizenship was part of the morning meeting or was part of like Friday afternoons, like for you know, the last thing they did, which is, you know, similar to elementary social days now, but at the same time, it was, we're going to devote Friday afternoons to having these conversations and discussions about, you know, our community and our school and our home and how these things work. And I, I really think it um, activated student voices in a lot of ways that is missing from some other elementary social studies and allowing the students to really answer those questions and think through these problems. I look forward to reading your article and looking at some of the resources that you've been able to gather, because this just sounds absolutely interesting. And it's so funny to see like the cyclical nature of, I guess, learning and how things, you know, come back around. And sometimes the wisdom of 100 years ago still stands true, even though 50 years from now it might not. <laughs> yeah, totally. I think and. It's, it's always interesting when you, you read those people who wrote in the 1890s and 1900s and 1910s, um, and so many of the things that they spoke about um, or wrote about ring, ring so true today. And so, yeah, we can learn a lot from this. I want to I take our show on the road. I'm, I want to go to Northern Iowa and go to this magical basement of primary sources about schools. Michael, do we do road shows? How do we, we're going to have to set up some kind of funding to, so we can just start taking our show on the road. If you want to uh, go to our Patreon, which no, we don't, we have. don't, we don't have, and we're not. Thank you so much, Carolyn and Sarah, for joining us today. Thank, Thank you. you. Now, where can our listeners find you and your work online? On our web pages for the University of Northern Iowa, we have some of our citations listed, but we can also provide some other resources that you can um, connect with our podcast here if you want. We do, we do, we do, we do. We will definitely get all those resources in the show notes. Um, and so look for anything we mentioned here. Make sure you go and check our show notes. Thank you again so much for joining us today. And we hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Now at the Vision of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something fun, creative education, or you just want to travel back 100 years to see what's up, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook and sometimes somewhere else. And if you haven't already, subscribe to Vision Education and Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and anywhere you'd like us to be, including Northern Iowa, if you'll have us. We'd love to have you. <laughs> <laughs> and 100 years ago, seven-year-old Michael's five-star reviews would have been counting his five favorite stars in the sky. But for here, it's leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find this podcast, so please do so. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast. Signing off.